What do you mean? You're going to be here one day? Well, I'm going to have that day to spend with you guys. I'm sure I'm going to be like having other other things I have to do. I don't know like if we what? can do both. Like what? Like like whatever my wife tells me to do. God, grow a backbone, would you? <laughs> what backbone? What are you kidding me? I got no backbone. I'm a spineless jellyfish. Ooh. Uh, excuse me. Where am I? The Voyager cast. Who are you? The second in command. What do you want? To cover every iteration of Star Trek. I will not watch Voyager, Enterprise, Picard, Lower Decks, Prodigy, or Discovery. My life is my own. By hook or by crook, you will. I am not a prisoner of your podcast whims. Alright, you want to do the prisoner? Alright then. The Village People, an exploration of the prison. With Paul Spataro, Dave Pascarella, Bill Robinson, and Andrew Lamb. The Tally Ho is the Twitter of uh, <laughs> of the village. Indeed. I was, well, I guess I'll save for that. Yeah. So why don't we do, why don't we talk about a change of mind? Andy, uh, that's I know. I'm just I'm finding the right page in my book. Yeah, I'm trying to come up with the right. Uh, I've, yeah, I've got a couple of book of interesting things. Right, a change of See, mind. I just I love the fact. I just love the fact that behind me on my shelves, I have a load of books, but behind Andy, he has books. <laughs> Book, B-U-K. Just just think of, of Witness. What? <laughs> when, he, when he was beating up the guy, and the guy kept saying, Book, Book. Okay, B-U-K. B-U-K, a book. Yeah, but you read, read books. <laughs> I read books. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Village Idiots. No, that's not what we are, but that is what we are. It's the Village it's People some, some Village People thing. Yes, yes, unless you're a Village People fan, yes, in which case, come in, have a seat, join us. You won't find much of interest here, but you're very welcome. We're a broad church. Today, I am joined as ever by number 86 paul spataro 86 cool that is good isn't it number yeah. 42 dave pascarella he's got some set of legs paul <laughs> the butler dr bill robinson on today's program for whom the bell tolls it tolls for two <laughs> and i'm the woodland man andrew Leyland. <laughs> The woodland man, you just—they are, li- are literally credited as woodland men. They—they're like little woodland elves that come out that beat up not yes. number six, and I will suddenly grow a, a thick thatch of hair for appearing in UFO a year later. And oddly enough, they—we uh, saw them last episode. <clears throat> we did, yes. You <laughs> stock footage from this episode in last week's episode because last week's episode was made after this one. Confused you will be on the next episode of Soap. <laughs> See, I saw Soap. Soap was awesome. <laughs> so 
face the committee for this. <laughs> the prisoner is framed and accused of a serious crime. The sentence is a change of mind. Public enemy number six. If you insist. But public enemies cannot be tolerated indefinitely. I'm inadequate. Disharmonious. Believe me. Believe me. The ultrasonic beam is now focused on the exact link point of the frontal lobes. Now to step up the voltage until the ultrasonic bombardment causes permanent dislocation. At last, a mind free from fear or favor. A mind that will reveal all its secrets. But to whom? Number 86 will report to number two immediately. Repeat immediately. Stupid woman, she'll ruin everything. Don't have a change of mind. Be sure to watch the next exciting episode of The Prisoner. A Change of Mind was written by Roger Parks and directed by Joseph Surf. We all know who Joseph Surf is, right? We've had this conversation. Patrick McGowan. Yes, Patrick McGowan. After the initial director lasted, oh, all of a day. Because he ran away screaming, going, ah! (laughs) According to the big boy's book of interesting things, he was let go at dinner time with Patrick McGowan saying, "Uh, he's ill, he's not coming back. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Roy Rossetti was supposed to be the director, and he disappeared into his own village, never to be seen again. So that's a change of mind. Patrick McGowan stars as the prisoner as ever with Angela Brown as number 86, John Sharp as number two, and Angelo Muscat as the butler. They are generally the main characters of this episode. It is misspelt John Sharp on screen with an E at the end. Yeah, I thought it was an English thing. <laughs> it probably was. I don't know. Uh, It was first broadcast on the 15th of December 1967 on the ITV network and in the US on CBS on August 24th, 1968 to ratings of around 7.5 million. The synopsis runs thus. Can science change a man's mentality? The prisoner is the subject of a sinister plan to transform his mental processes by sound waves and drugs. It is the latest move on the part of number two to get the answer to the question, why did number six resign? We're still no closer to getting an actual answer to the question other than the one that he actually answered at the beginning of the show. So I don't know why you think there's more going on. Uh, It was nice to see UFO's Michael Billington in this. I gather none of you lot spotted him. (laughs) Well, I mean, I spotted somebody, uh, George Pravda. Pauser recognized him. I did not. Uh, he was the guy. He was the the doctor that uh, number six kept seeing that had the like Czechoslovakian. Well, he is Czechoslovakian. He had like the Russian Eastern Bloc accent. Like, oh, you're fine. You're fit as a fit. Well, that was a horrible. Uh, that was more German. But uh, he was in uh, he was in Thunderball. He was in Blues Clues. He was in Blues Clues. He was in Thunderball. Uh, Andy and I would recognize him. He played in Doctor Who as uh, in the deadly the episode The Deadly Assassin. He was uh, the Castellan, like basically the Columbo. Oh, yeah. So he was. Yeah, because I recognized him right away. He was also in Firefox. I guess he played a, like a Russian general. Uh, you know, he's like one of 
It's like that guy. He was in Inspector Clouseau with Alan Arkin. So you you've probably seen him pop up, but you may not have realized that you'd seen him. That uh, that sounds accurate because I'm looking him up on on. Uh, I just Googled him and he doesn't really look familiar, but he does kind of have a a face that, you know, you could see where he'd blend in certain movies. So I'm sure I have seen him, but I, I don't think I've ever taken note of him. Yeah, I mean, I, I only because I've seen uh, I've seen the deadly assassin with uh, from from Doctor Who so many times that it's like, you know, his his voice, his face. It's like, oh, boom, there he is. Looks like he was in some of the Hammer movies. Yeah. Frankenstein must be destroyed. Sure, it's yeah, a quality so it, film. It was a nice little. Uh, Ooh, he's in Dracula, 1974. Speaking of which, I'm a, I well, just on a side note, side tangent, I'm I'm really interested in that Renfield movie, especially the way they have Nicolas Cage looking like Bella Lugosi. All right, enough side talk. <laughs> uh, yeah. So this episode is, well, this episode is an episode, isn't it? Well, it is an episode. I'm more disconcerted with uh the prophetic things that's in this episode concerning like social media <laughs> and how the society can turn on you and yeah because yeah. it, it's basically the cancellation of number six isn't it yeah they all basically decide that he is to be cancelled excommunicado if you've watched john wick and that's it. Everyone just instantly turns on him. And this one, this one does not paint the other villages in a good light. There's always in other episodes, you've kind of got the idea that there are some people there that have just broken and they've give up their secrets and they just want a quiet life. That's me. And there's that's you. And there's other people you get the that are also actively fighting what's going on, like number six, although maybe not as obviously as he's doing it. In this one, everyone's just a get. Yeah, they're, they're beyond broken and just going along with the program. They are like true believers. Hmm. They've they've drank the Kool Aid. Yeah, how about that council of Karens we had? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and and we've never seen that there's a council before that doesn't even have to answer to number two. Yeah, that that was uh, yeah, that was. This is Although a strange I, one. Yeah, it's it's this one doesn't really feel like part of the show. And I wonder about its place in here at the end near as we approach the end. I've said before that this order Bill's got us watching him and he's interesting because I don't know what's coming next. It's from all over the, the DVD run. So that's been quite fascinating to watch it in a completely different order. And I get why they've split up the last couple of episodes like living in harmony and then the one we did last week do not forsake me oh my darling and then the girl who was deaf are all really weird off concept episodes and when you have them back to back like you do on the dvd you kind of forget that there used to be a concept whereas this way you've split them up much more evenly but this one felt like it should have been earlier because mm. you don't really get a good idea of who the village is. I mean, it only feels like number 86 is even vaguely possibly on his side in some way, but not really. Well, looking at what we have after this, we have Hammer into Anvil, the girl who is death, 
and then Once Upon a Time and Fallout. Right. So looking at those last three, I, and I vaguely remember Hammer into Anvil, but it, it's almost like we're really getting into the really strange or concepts all jumbled up at the end. Yeah. Almost like we were kind of eased into the village and now the village is cranked it up to 11 from here on out to quote spinal tap. Hmm. And there's, there's, there is stuff to like in it. I mean, it's some people have said it, it's, it's a McCarthyism episode, which I suppose, I suppose it is a bit. Mm. And yeah. some people you've, spot, you've spotted, yeah, instead of a mutual say communist apparently, and that plays into that. Bill spotted that whole cancellation social media modern day reference to it that has something to say. I don't, I don't I just felt that number two was too much of a bystander in this one that he wasn't. I mean, I did like that he kept pointing at his head and being very, oh, if you, you know, if there's a lot and I can't do anything about it. And I'm like, well, how much of that is bullshit? How much of that is he can do something about it, but he doesn't want to do something about it. He wants to legitimately lobotomize number six, get what he wants out of him and move on. Wouldn't that be more realistic that that's all they want? That they don't yes. really give a shit about his well-being in any way, shape or form or, or you know, his ability to continue after they're done? Yeah. I mean, I, I get it. It was nice. Some people have slagged off this number. Number two has not been very interesting, but I thought he was one of the more interesting for that reason. He's not got a personal relationship with him. He couldn't care less. If he wants to be unmutual and not give them the information he wants, then fine. Do what you're going to do. I don't care. Mm-hmm. Who are we so, picking for this number two? I was just going to say, I guess that's a good time. Who does number two work for? Who does number two work for? That's right, buddy. You show that turn who's boss. I have two people. They both seemed incredibly obvious to me. So I don't know if anybody else will have done them. The first one that jumped out at me is the more recent, although not contemporary because he died in 2001. Uh, but he is the more recent. Roy Brocksmith. Oh, who you yeah, might that's remember. a call, yeah. You might remember from Total Recall or uh, oh, was the, the Star, oh. uh, Star Trek The Next Generation episode when he's like the uh, games master. Oh, yeah, yeah. I just saw that at work the other day. I mean, uh, it happened to be on the TV when I was checking it. And it, Yeah, he died. He was only 56 in 2001. So that means oh. he was like in his 30s when he was on Star Trek. What did he die is, of? Uh, Please don't tell me diabetes. I believe it was uh, complications of diabetes. Oh, come on! <laughs> oh man, you, you you couldn't have set that up more. You're killing me. <laughs> what diabetes is? Anyway, so he's he's my more recent uh, guy, and then my older guy who would be contemporary with the show is Victor Bono. Yeah. Oh yeah, that's a good choice. Well, I'm going to stand by a favorite uh, minor kind of. <laughs> Terry tune. Thomas? No, no, no. Toby <laughs> Jones. Toby Jones. I think Toby Jones would be good in this role. Toby I, Jones I would have been good as any number two. That Ro- That's true. Toby Jones is almost like the current Roy Brocksmith. Yes. Mm. My other, like, uh, funny pick would be uh, Louis Anderson. 
<laughs> it's funny just the thought of it. Because ah, ah, ah. see him running away from the people in the village. At least Louis the Anderson end. would be a great Modoc. Yes, yes, we have had that on uh, Back to the Bins. That was our that was our you know. Yeah. L- Louis Anderson is Modoc. Hell, he would have been better than the, what they did in the Ant Man movie. But anyway, I went. Didn't uh, see didn't see it yet, so I can't tell you. I went with the Dom DeLuise. (laughs) (laughs) Dom DeLuise could do drama. Yeah. That's what I was thinking. You didn't cry during the movie Fatso. You didn't know what you you weren't watching the right thing. All right. Uh, Contemporaneously, I went with James Robertson Justice. Who was. He was a British character actor of the 50s, 60s and 70s. He appeared mostly in all the Doctor series of films, which were kind of a rival to the carry-on films. Doctor at Sea, Doctor in the House, Doctor in Distress, Doctor at Large, Doctor in Love. Like little situation comedy things about young doctors with copious amounts of bad sex jokes in them. Oh, but he was a, yeah, okay. I he see, was a yeah. big bloke. He, I think he could have pulled this off. And my other one was Michael Clark Duncan, who played the kingpin in the Ben Ooh. Affleck The Devil mm. Movie. He would have brought like some gravitas to it. Yes. Well, both of them would. And if anything, I think that's what was missing from this version of number two. He had the manipulation down. He had the I'm not really that bothered down. I don't think he had any of the impact of some of the better ones. So that's what I was looking for when I recast it. I'm just thinking like with Michael Clark Duncan, it, it would almost be like the I could tear you to shreds with my bare hands, but I'm using my brain instead. Yeah, like there's like an element to that, that 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 the other actors that we've all mentioned would not be able to carry off. Hmm. So I quite like that. I quite like both those. All those choices were quite good, though. I thought it was all quite fun. All right. The so op- what are we doing next time? Oh. Well, bye. I was going to. I like the opening. I like seeing number six's exercise regime. Because you mm. never get the impression that he spends at least four hours a day exercising, but apparently he does. And he's built himself his little bar. And the minute that he jumps onto his little bar, he magically changes into another person. (laughs) (laughs) Which is interesting. And they always seem to want to send people at him that he always manages to handily defeat in a fight. Despite the fact they both look like they're good 10 to 15 years younger than him. And in much better shape. Except when they cut to the other guy that's fighting him yeah except when they cut to uh, frank mayo who was his stunt double who handily beats the shit out of them i kind of like that though to show that he hasn't lost his skills that he is the super spy that we you know that we're picturing him as mm-hmm. yeah he's gonna he's gonna he's gonna swing in on a rope and kick the ass of a bag yeah. watch out watch out bags number six <laughs> is coming for you he hasn't lost his skills until the plot requires him to have lost his skills. Yeah, he's, well, he, still no keeps himself, he still keeps himself um, edgy until he doesn't need to. And yeah, there's lots they, of... Oh, sorry. Go on. Sorry. No, you finish. It's okay. No, no, no. no. I was no, going to no, say that you. there's lots of funny bits in this. Like, I love, I love the guy coming out being told what to say by the, the little radio underneath. And I like the, the spying on the people who are just being operated on. All of that was quite funny. 
You know, that's pretty contemporary, too, because I think our president does. Oh, wait, sorry. I Unmutual. <laughs> you are very unmutual. We just lost all, half our listeners. And it's I like I like the little signs all around the background. Again, the little subtle ways that the village controls you in the way that you see every day in real life. If you're paying attention, like the your community needs you signs. I mean, I don't know what you're like at the minute, but with the price of energy bills, right? What we're currently seeing is we're currently seeing lots of subtle little adverts that you you should turn down your heating a little bit and you should turn down the the pressure on your washing machine. And all of this is subtly kind of saying this is your fault. It's your fault that the energy bills have gone up. If you if you don't want to heat your house or if you want to turn down, that, that's on you. It's not the fact that they keep putting the prices up and making billions in profit. It's your fault. So if you, you do these little fixes, it's like who are you to want warmth and clean clothes? It's like yeah. Jimmy Carter coming out in the sweater going, turn down your thermostat. Yeah, it's it's not us. This I, isn't because of us. This is because of you. So I, I, like I, I found the most things. ironic one of those. I'm sorry for the tangent, but I found the most ironic one of those. And this has got to be close to 20 years ago uh, when there was an energy issue. And Barbara Streisand told, said that people should just hand wash their clothes. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Barbara Streisand, because I'm com- sure you sit the, there hand-washing your clothes. The completely disconnected from reality are going to explain to me. Like yeah. my, car, my car's the problem, but your private jet is okay. Yeah, and there's there's uh, lots of little things that you'll see, little subtle. Like President Macron recently was doing a thing about the the raising of the um, retirement age in France, and he was people telling people happy that, about that. They need to, they, you know, people need to make sacrifices. And there was a wonderful little video that was posted on Twitter that he was saying this with his 85,000 euro watch on. And then his hands disappear under the table while he's talking. And then when he lifts them back up, the watch has disappeared. <laughs> I thought you were going to say he was playing pocketball while we were. <laughs> well, and it, it's, I love those little touches that are just around because you do, you see them all the time. It's not our fault. We've put congestion charges in place, but you still want to use your car. So the environmental issue, that's not us. We tried our best. Bullshit. So I always like those little subtle things. We've given you these hybrid cars, but we're not going to mention all of the issues that go in with creating the battery and, <laughs> and disposing of it. What do you have to get rid of the thing? Wait till you have to get rid of it, and they're going to tell you, oh, you're going to pay a $5,000 fee to get rid of that thing. So there's, I like the subtle signs that exist in the background. And I, I like the idea that he wants to televise the lobotomy. <laughs> and you're like, who, who wants to watch that? And then you remember that people used to show up all the time for execution. So maybe lots of people want to watch that. I don't know. Well, yeah, I'm I'm on board. I'm there. I mean, we have lobotomized the bastard. Oh, oh, the Romans, they were so barbaric. Hey, is UFC fighting on? Yeah. George Collin did did a whole bit about that. Yeah, I I don't doubt it. Uh, Throughout it all. Go on. Idaho, the state of Idaho is bringing back firing squads as a means of execution. I guess bullets are cheaper? Uh, they said it's more humane and more effective. 
I did think they got a little. We could slowly put you to sleep, or we could have six guys shoot at you, and one of them, and a couple of them might miss. I think that's the the issue is these companies making the chemicals don't want to sell them to the state. Oh, well, that's okay. They could just bring them by on a train and just derail them and use that. Oh, too soon. With my luck, I get the guys who couldn't shoot straight and survive the thing. Well, then they let you go, right? Oh, I think that's only a myth. I don't know. I thought if they tried to kill you and you lived, that they could, that you could go free. Because I know the guy they tried to fry in Florida who caught fire. He got a second zap. Isn't this an interesting conversation? They didn't wet that sponge. (laughs) (laughs) And that goes back to Michael Clark Duncan. Yes, because you know we like to make things surface in the green mile. I like that McGowan's just resolutely defiant through the whole thing. They've even got him strapped down for his lobotomy, and he's still like, no, not of none of this. Yeah, you're going to get a little, we're going to put a Band-Aid on your head. Oh, no, I got a scar. They got a little bit cliche with the uh, switching the drugs. It almost felt like, uh, you know, like a Bugs Bunny cartoon. But, you know. <laughs> You know, it, it's I don't know when when you when you slip somebody a Mickey, I think you watch until they actually consume it. I don't think you can just pour it into the plant, which he did yeah. very deftly, by the way. Didn't get a drop anywhere else. No. Uh, Would have been great is if the plant went. <laughs> <laughs> it turned into a uh, Beauregard from uh, Star Trek. <laughs> you remember? uh Yes, yes. Sulu's uh, plant. Sulu's plant that was like a hand puppet, literally. It was a hand. (laughs) The man was it the man trap? It's the one with the salt vampire, right? Yeah. Yep. I got a vibe from the public confession thing of uh remember in the uh the Gulf War when they were parading on TV the pilots who'd been shot down? And forcing them to give a speech about how they were against the war in the Gulf. I mean, the first war in the Gulf. Well, that happened in Vietnam, too. And I'm sure it happened probably in any. God bless. Any major conflict we've had with any type of media. Like, I don't know if it goes back as far as World War II, but I know it was in Vietnam. Must, you no, must admit so you are I've been wrong. shot down, but I got up again. It's never going to keep me down. <laughs> I didn't think number six had enough today. I found Angela Brown quite pretty. Hmm. I did too. Was when when this was filmed? Was he like still going off for uh, Ice Station Zebra? Or no, mm-hmm. this was filmed before that one. Oh, okay. This was filmed well before. If I look in. Let me look at the contents page because that's the order they were filmed in. Like a change of mind was filmed back be- after it's your funeral and before A, B, and C. Mm. So this is one, two, three, four, five, oh, six wow. episodes before Do Not Forsake Me or My Darling. See, I don't even really remember the actual uh, viewing. I mean, the broadcast order. I'm looking. Oh yeah, yeah, we are. Okay. So that's what I was saying about if you look at the the way they were filmed, all of mm. the wacky ones are all at the end. Mm. And this this viewing order has split those up a lot. 
so they don't all follow on from each other. But that really does lay into the idea that he, he, he was running out of ideas. The, of the last one, two, three, four, five episodes, three of them are completely off concept. Once Upon a Time had already been filmed because they had the idea that that was going to be the finale for the first season if they decided to do a second season. So that was filmed back as episode six and they were sitting on it. And of those last ones, many after returns has no dialogue whatsoever for the first 35 minutes. Do not forsake me doesn't have McGowan in it. Living in Harmony is a Western. The girl who was death, we won't spoil because we've not watched it yet. And then the last one. So there's, it, there really is like, well, we need ideas. Okay, well, let's do a Western. But to do in the Western, I, I thought that doing the Western was very creative. I, I enjoyed that very much. Yeah, I like that episode. I'm not, I'm not dissing on the episode as an episode, and it, it felt more like an episode of The Prisoner than this one did, weirdly. When it conclude, once it concluded, once you got the whole background of what they were doing and everything i thought that episode fit in very well yeah uh, but you know i i don't have any problem with the concept that they had that they struggled to come up with things because the show is you know by the, the whole idea of the show is to be you know very cerebral and very uh, thought-provoking so it shouldn't be that easy to just come up with concepts to do because it's not just an action adventure show in fact uh I think the action adventure stuff is given to us kind of as a, a thing to placate us in between the more, you know, thought provoking ideas. Uh, so the fact that they struggle to come up with concepts makes total sense to me, but then just the same though, it's, it's almost like, you know, you gotta, if you're going to, if you're going to do it, you do have to do it right. So, hmm. you know, that's, it's, Easier said than done, put it that way. Yeah. So I'm, uh, it's going to be a joke after I say this. So I'm disturbed. Go ahead. Put your jokes in. Add joke here. <laughs> Everybody at home did that too. So I'm disturbed at how this was written 50 years ago. And there's so much how you think how how the society how the village acts and you could see parallels that this would happen today you know with the whole unmutual instant social conversion uh, it's just very eerie but but then it is it you know, we're looking 50 years from when this was written, and we and I still think there's a lot of things that that this could still happen and does happen. But is that just the way society is? Is it just in certain aspects it's never going to change? There's there's a certain number of people that can easily or all be swayed by whatever side of the political spectrum or social spectrum you're you're on, and and the whole the whole council of Karens with the <laughs> you know, with with their judge. I mean, that's that's what they are. This is who they would be today. Well, I think it's a take I, on I, society. I mean, that, that, I know, and, but and it was accurate it's, then. It's accurate that now. And it's scary. I think Andy, I'm just Andy looking at this going, it. We haven't progressed. 
But nope. Andy hit on it already that that it was a, it was a take on McCarthyism. So it, it was a take on something that occurred what ten years before this uh, episode was made, and it's still effective. It's still impactful today, and it still shows you that that communities, for better or for worse, can be manipulated. I mean, and it's the whole but, thing we talked the about question earlier. Is, you know, you know, to get slightly political, you know, you have people on the left and people on the right. And there's people in the middle, which is where I like to sit, looking at the other sides going, what is wrong with you people? Yeah, and yeah. Let's, be, let's be fair <laughs> to both sides. Both sides are manipulated by, uh, you know, yes, whatever. Yes, and there's people that are just like rabid dogs that jump onto this and are ready, you know, uh, I mean, you know, they're uh, – and today's I, uh, society has made it easier to manipulate them because people are now because everybody's hooked to their phone and they're regulate. Yep. Every everybody's been been become accustomed to just listening to a soundbite and that's good enough for them. Yeah, Without, they don't need to have background or, or or facts given to them. There's as no as something is presented. There is no filter today. In that years ago, if you wanted to, you know, put out a statement, you wrote a letter to the newspaper. And there was someone who would look at it first and go, oh, this guy's an idiot. We're not going to publish this. Today, it's all just out there. I mean, all we need, of course, we have Siri. All we need is to have our phone announce in the in the village uh, lady's voice. Good morning, <laughs> good morning, good morning. And when that happens, I think I'll, tur- I'll throw my phone away. <laughs> Like, no, 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 no. Go back now, to now they, I mean, it's gone even further with the way, uh, you know, Siri or Google or uh, you Alexa. Know, Alexa or whatever are listening into your conversations and now gearing your advertising based upon the conversations you have. It's mm. a little frightening when you think about it. I mean, this is, <laughs> in 1984, it took a little while to get here, but it's here. Mm-hmm. And that was delving into exactly the same things that the prisoners delving into. And I think that Bill's right. There's a certain segment of the population that this will always be applicable to because politics aren't a straight line. They're a circle. And if you go too far one way or the other, you end up meeting each other. And I think that's where a lot of people are at the minute. The the hardcore, whatever you want to call them, left can be just as oppressive as the hardcore right. Oh, no question. Yeah. And that, that's essentially that's why I think this episode doesn't paint the village very well, because there is no there's no counterpoint view to it. Everybody simply follows what they say the minute that they say it. This guy's cancelled. Well, why? What exactly have they done? Let's have a look at what they did. Let's have a look at what they actually said before we decide that that person is to be consigned onto the dustbin of society. I like the dustbin of society. That's where we all live. Because you see it all the time. You've got you've got our former politician Nadine Doris currently saying that Boris shouldn't be prosecuted for lying to Parliament and thus us because he was the Prime Minister and therefore he should be exempt from that. And you're just looking at it going, that's not how the law works. So he, so she's saying that when the president does it, it yeah, it's is not, not illegal. It's not illegal. Yes, exactly right. Above and that is law. how the law works. So we're saying the president is above the law. Well, he shouldn't be. We get Sylvester Stallone to come out and I'd tell him. Say, 
I'm saying that if he erased all those tapes, he'd still be president today. So, and I think that's what this one exposes more than anything. There's a lot of interesting ideas in it. And I, I, I like that because it was produced when it was produced, there's a lot of surrealistic images in it. And there's a lot of comedy in it if you're looking for it. A lot of dark humour in there. But I don't think it's as... I don't think it's subtle. Well, I don't know that the prisoner was ever subtle, but I don't think it's as subtle as the prisoner normally is. I think having the entire village turn against him straight away like that flies in the face of what we've seen before. Well, it, I mean, it, having the entire village turn against him kind of undermines the thought that there are other people there like him. Yeah, um, that contradicts what we've seen before. I mean, I do like how he turns the tables on two again at the end. But I, I also felt that was that wasn't as convincing as when we've seen him do that in other episodes. Number six, master of hypnotism. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, well, he, but he's he you know, I always I guess wrongly, but I always liken him to James Bond and James Bond is the master of like everything. So why wouldn't he? I'm just going to dangle my watch in front of your face. Now, she was already slightly drugged, so. And it was was the late 60s when it was very easy to hypnotize people. According to television. According to television. Which which, which Gilligan's Island episode are we discussing I believe there were multiple episodes where they used hypnotism. Well, they probably got that from Bill Cosby. Oh, too soon. Sorry. Hey, hey, hey. I don't think that's what he was thinking. <laughs> oh, so it it is. You you are right though. It is a little disturbing that you know. I guess I guess it goes with the uh, the old saying. You know, those who who don't remember history are doomed to repeat it. You know, mm. people people haven't learned. Uh, and and you know, I think by nature, unfortunately, we are a lazy society. And so when something's presented to us, we just say, yeah, that's right. He's right, too. <laughs> it doesn't matter. <laughs> I always called it uh, the L.A. law effect because they would show you a, a, you know, a closing arguments on a trial. And you'd hear the one guy give his whole closing argument. And you'd be like, yeah, he's right. Then the other one would give the, you know, 180 degree opposite argument. And you'd be like, he's right, too. So, you know, you, you have to show show some independence mentally and, and kind of make up your own mind. And that's not as easy. It's so much easier to just to be led around by a by a leash. We're getting deep here. Mm. Yeah, I didn't think this episode would do that. <laughs> oh, I, I don't know. You know, I was watching it yesterday and I don't remember what scene was on. But my wife, who is not a fan, uh, said, so what are you going to talk about? Are you going to talk about how this episode sucked? <laughs> I don't think it sucked. I was, you know. I was like, no, no, we actually like the show. <laughs> she, You know, this this is too way out there for her. She's, she's not going to get a kick out of this. But, you know... I think you got to you got to go beyond what's on you know what's presented in a in a small bite on the screen. You got to you got to think about what they're doing and why they're doing it. 
although I am finding uh, finding that uh, McGowan's performances are seeming a little bit more stilted to me. I don't know. Like he's like I'm not seeing a depth to his performance. And I, there's there's a little less subtlety to it than I would like, and I'm disappointed by that. I don't. I do wonder how much of this at this point is he was just taking on too much. Like every single interview you'll read going towards the end of the series, basically talks about how he's up at four o'clock in the morning, and he's doing everything, and his control is omnipresent. And I do. I wonder if that's bleeding into the screen performance. I mean, he's still captivating, or I think he is, which is kind of ironic considering he's, you know setting himself a, he's his own number two he's yeah running he's running his own private village See, I, I, I think he's he's getting by it feels to me like he's getting by on his natural charisma charisma but it doesn't feel like he's putting a lot into the actual performance so he's still likable and you and still want to be on his side like he's so good he just doesn't really have to try as hard yeah, there's there's an element of that to it, and and I I I want to see a little just a little bit more, you know, like when you look at him, you want to see his mind working a little bit, and I'm not seeing it as much. I would have liked to have seen you... Patrick McGowan as a Romulan on Deep Space Nine. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna have to seek out the Columbo episodes with him. Oh, he's great in that. Yeah, they they are routinely considered to be among the very best. Didn't Columbo he win a couple episodes. of Emmys for those? Yeah, because he directed quite a few as well that he's not in. But uh, my favorite one that he did is the one that he's in with Leslie Nielsen. <laughs> I just get a, I, I have a tough time watching Leslie Nielsen uh, in anything but yeah. comedy now. No, he's he's really good in a straight. He, Leslie Nielsen was a fine actor, but once he yeah. got pigeonholed into being a comedy actor, it's hard to picture him doing anything else because his comedy performances were always, you know, very serious. Mm, as far that's because he his... had that deadpan delivery as yes, exactly. A, as a as you know. So he always delivered his lines as if he was one hundred percent serious. And and it it's now when you see him in a serious role, it's it's hard to separate. It's always interesting as well. Have you ever seen any interviews with him later on in his career where he's just he's goofing around and he's got the yeah, fart he's got bag. A, he's got the yeah, fart machine and all that stuff. But you ask him about Forbidden Planet and he completely changes. And I sometimes wonder if, um, I mean, it brought the money in and I'm sure he loved what he did for his bank balance. But I sometimes wonder just by watching how he completely changes his demeanor when you ask him about Forbidden Planet that he kind of missed being a straight actor. But he had a lot more notoriety as a comedy actor. Yeah, and that's what I'm saying. It padded out his bank balance in his later years. So I'm not saying he hated it, but he seemed to have this this reverence whenever you, somebody asked him about Forbidden Planet that wasn't necessarily there when he's talking about Dracula dead and loving it. Well, I can understand. I, I find... Uh, so, I mean, the two... Uh, I don't, I, well, I don't want to say famous people, but 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 TV or movie people that I have met in a personal one to one discussion before I met them, I did. Uh, no, I wasn't a stalker. I did a deep dive <laughs> just to see like what 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 they were currently doing, 
what their like hobbies were, what their street address. Wait. No. <laughs> um, <laughs> like when I met Aaron Gray at a a comic convention, one I was like, <laughs> but when we got to the we got to a port uh, spot where you know we could ask questions, and I brought up to her about her love of Tai Chi. Because she had discovered that back when she was she was working on the Rockford Files and she showed James Garner. And it's like as soon as you, you I, I keyed in and talked to her about that, you could feel you could see a change in her demeanor that she's like, oh, you're just not only going to ask me about Buck Rogers, Buck Rogers, you know, and the skimpy outfits. It's like, oh, oh, wow, this person is actually asking something that not a lot of people ask me. And the same thing when we saw Vernon Wells. Uh, when uh, when we went to the Eternal Con, mm-hmm. I asked him about his current project called Western X. And as soon as I said that, like he stopped, he turned and he kind of looked at like he was looking at me before. But it was kind of like, yeah, yeah, we're doing a photo op. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nice to meet you, mate. And I was like, so you're currently working on Western X. And he's like and he kind of turned and looked. and He's like. Oh yeah, yeah. I was like, "How's that going?" And he's like, "Well, you know, we've got we've got some backers for this and that." And he and I had like an extra, I got like an extra little 15, 20 second discussion that wouldn't have had. So you know, if you're gonna meet somebody, try to maybe bring something up that they liked in their past and not like yeah, what their like current thing about. is. Yeah, not a so. job that they did for one year, twenty five years ago. Yeah. No, I I did I found that I, I remember talking to Bob Layton at New York Comic Con. And, uh, you know, he's sketching a picture, I guess, a commission. And I asked him what he was doing. And he, he kind of like almost rolled his eyes a little bit and said, Iron Man. <laughs> and then I, I brought up uh, his work on Hercules. And all of a sudden he seemed to like come to life. Mm. So, you know, I guess, I guess, you know, when, especially when these guys have something that's more like a passion project to them. Then, then they become much more animated when you talk about it. I mean, I'm sure Bob Layton looks back and loves his, you know, the time he spent working on Iron Man, but he gets to talk about that all the time. Yeah. So when you bring up something that he, you know, that he's equally passionate about and put, you know, equal effort into, but doesn't get the same notoriety, you know, that seems to be key. I know Scott has talked about like when he goes to conventions, uh, and he brings books to get signed. He always goes out of his way to pick books that have me had some sort of personal meaning to him as opposed to the most famous books. And he's, you know, frequently gotten, uh, you know, more excited reactions from the, uh, creators. Creator. Hmm. Roy Kirk is the creator. V'ger. V'ger seeks knowledge. So we've kind of gone gone afield here a little bit, which is normal for us. Uh, any more commentary on this episode? Uh, no, nah, it was just, you know, it was the end where you know, the clock struck four. What, what did out. you think? What did you think of the fact that, you know, the laser was more of a, a placebo? Uh and, and, you know, it didn't really do the thing. The whole thing was really the drugs and, and you know, suggestion. Uh, well, you know what? Uh, I think that the laser 
I think some of those people were lobotomized by by the laser because in one of the synopsis I read it says that that the light is turned off at the last second uh, by number eighty six. So I think some of those people that we see that were like the one guy that six talks to that he's like hey uh, maybe they actually did lobotomize people like I really think they did using that technique. It's only that they're they're not willing to damage the goods to that extent yet, but they want to make them think that they did. Or it could be that they didn't lobotomize anybody and it was all just a show. But you never know with the village. I don't think that really answers one way or the other in this episode either, if they actually lobotomize people. And why is Rover so scary? Why is everybody frightened of videos of Rover? That's not fair. He's just a like, he's a lovable bouncing ball coming down the street. And everybody's like, ah! Like, the bloke's just doing his job, man. He's, he's roving. It's in his name. Mm. Leave <laughs> I mean, Rover he may, alone. He may, he may literally just be nipping out for a pint of milk. Come here, Rover. Come on, Rover. Come here. He's going to have to like <laughs> suck it in and ho- hold it inside him and bounce around. Oh, God, I can't break this milk. Oh, psh, I got to go chase somebody. Another idiot's running. <laughs> got to go out. Mrs. Rover's going to send me back out for milk again. Can't wait on my sons. Yeah, I can't wait till he's old enough to go and get it. I can't be doing yeah. this shit. Every time I walk down the street, people are terrified of me. I've not done anything wrong. <laughs> Just a friendly bouncing weather balloon. Piss off. <laughs> yeah, leave me alone. It's a little by little robot just starts to get more and more angry and then just swallows somebody. <laughs> <laughs> but it's the same guy every time. <laughs> All right. I guess we need to rate it. Yeah, I guess. Uh, I, you know, I thought it was entertaining. I thought it, I, I, it just didn't quite get over the hump for me i'm gonna say three and a half uh is that on a scale of six yeah okay so you just barely got over the hump no well over the hump means like into you know starting to get into the excellent territory oh okay okay it's not there so it's you know it's average it was entertaining it's slightly better because it's what it is i thought it was all right and went with the three Yeah, I went with the four only because there's bits of it that I genuinely found funny. <laughs> uh, I, yeah, I'm going to go with four drugged uh, houseplants. Um, mainly for the disturbing uh, echoes to the future of social media and unmutual and echoes to the past. And how really haven't got anywhere, have we? Not really. We're all living in our own village. <laughs> all right, so that's what we thought. What do you think Blaine said? I don't know. Okay, so <laughs> Blaine says... <clears throat> Hi, guys. Social pressures are huge. That's the main reason people join and stay in cults. They're part of a community, and other communities are hostile. To get someone out of a cult, one generally has to form social ties in both worlds, 
and then break the links to the cult so that the person has a social safety net. It's interesting to see that sort of idea playing out here so strongly about a decade before that research was even done. That said, the idea of only simulating a lobotomy doesn't strike me as something that would actually work. Not just because they're talking about light waves and focal points is totally out of context, but because it would take a lot more to convince a person this determined that changes had been made. I appreciate how he played along and figured out what had happened, and particularly enjoyed the ultimate resolution of turning people against number two, but I still struggle with a group of so many resources using so flawed a plan in the first place. Next episode, Hammer into Anvil is episode 10 on iTunes. So, uh, yeah, I think uh, Blaine, you know, Blaine hits on kind of what I was saying about, you know, would, would the fake lobotomy really fool somebody? You know, I mean, they are combining it with drugging the person. So I think you can uh, you can always get away with the idea of saying, well, these drugs do it. But then if, if the drugs are significant enough to do it, why do you have to fake the lobotomy? So, you know, it, it kind of becomes a chicken and an egg thing. Because it's the village. <laughs> it's what they do. Mind trickery. It's all show. You don't know it's a damn show. He thinks it's a damn fight. Anyway, uh, so I guess that's what Blaine said. And what are we doing next time? The next episode, if I had a hammer. Hammer build, into anvil. Next time. I would build a house. I'd smack hammer you in, in the mouth. I'd hammer <laughs> in the evening. Each man has his breaking point, you know. You are no exception. Ah. When a girl is driven to suicide, the prisoner calls it murder. A murder he must avenge in Hammer into Anvil. Get that most down! Get it down! Yes, who can he be signaling to? We'll find out. Radar! Anything? No, sir. Not at sea. There must be. No, sir. There's no ship, sir. There must be an aircraft, helicopter, something. There's nothing, sir. Under the sea. Submarine! Another sonar. No, sir. There's nothing coming through. You can stop acting. I know. I've been onto you from the beginning. I knew what you were doing. You, sir. All those messages you sent and all those people you recruited. I knew you were advanced. The prisoner abandons his plans to escape to destroy his captors in the next dramatically different adventure of The Prisoner on this channel. All right, all I guess that's land. I guess that's it. We'll see you all next time. Bye-bye. 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 We'll see you in ya. <laughs> Who are you? The village people. Who are the supervisor, Paul Spataro. The chess master, Dave Pascarella. Rover, Dr. Bill Robinson. And Andrew Leyland as the butler. Village people investigating the prisoner.